the time has been assigned to me to share God's word with you. Uh, and I'm humbled. It has been a great joy to have partnered with this body of believers. And I want to thank you for all the prayers that you have lifted up before the Lord. Um, just as a launch pad, we can begin with the last reading in Romans chapter 1, 14 through 17. There is an intensity that I read about this obligation and a sense of indebtedness for Paul as a radical believer. And also, he lifts up the significance of the gospel. It was a difficult time. And he says, I am not ashamed. I'm ready to face the ridicule. I'm ready to face the Roman judgment. I am not ashamed of the gospel. So, greetings to River Hills Church. I greet you in the name, the victorious name of our Savior, King Jesus who loves us and gave himself for us. He is our eternal hope in changing times. In today's fast-changing world of conflicting values, it is very important to be frequently reminded that God alone is our hope and our eternal refuge. There is no other human answer. The media constantly makes us aware of global and local natural and man-made disasters. We also hear and see the dramatic rescue missions launched over the world, all over the world. In Turkey, in Syria, earthquakes and how amazingly people were pulled out of their Demise. In California, with its rainstorms and floods, I'm very, very thankful for those who go out there and help rescue people and save lives. And our hearts are always saddened to hear about the many victims suffering or dead in the aftermath of these disasters. We pray for the rescue attempts and are encouraged when we hear even one precious life found alive and rescued from the rubble of earthquake or from the disasters of wars. It is right for us to care deeply about the victims of disasters and about the rescue attempts because, hey, could be one of us. But we should not be surprised. 
When we hear about the increasing number of earthquakes, of wars and famines in our world today, Jesus predicted and the Gospels recorded for us. Matthew 24, 6 through 14, for example. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. It goes on to tell us, for nations will rise against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pangs. And then it goes on later, part of that passage, this gospel of the gospel will be, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The Bible informs us that God planned and started a perfect rescue mission for people from all nations, from their everlasting disastrous destruction. God has always been on a mission. All along history, he revealed himself to mankind in many ways, and in these last days, fully by his son, we are told in Hebrews. God was aware of the sinful choices that mankind would make even before time began. And the suffering and the lostness that would result. God didn't rely on man-made wasted attempts to pull ourselves out of a deep pit by our bootstraps. Surely, Mankind has tried again and again. From the beginning, God's perfect plan has always been to send his perfect sinless son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us. He alone is the pathway and instrument of God's one and only perfect and acceptable rescue mission. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 informs us, not silver, not gold, money will perish. But the precious blood of Christ without blemish or defect as we mem memorized and remembered in the communion. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As Sharon and I have served among people of several major religions, we have observed tireless religious efforts of pilgrims going from temple to temple, one holy place to the other, meditating, uh, presenting of uh, animal sacrifices, self-beating and mutilation, and idolatry that fills the street during their holy festivals. We have witnessed the futility of their puny efforts. Way back in 1970s, I met Dr. Paul Krishna, a professor and the head of department of philosophy at Durban University in South Africa. He came 
uh, to United States and was uh, in Chicago area, and uh, he was in advanced New Testament studies at Trinity Seminary. When he became a follower of Christ, he adopted the first name of Paul. He had a very Hindu name before that. On his personal quest for truth and redemption for years, he explored many traditions and disciplines, including yoga and meditation and pilgrimage and worship of many idols, self-denial and good works. He concluded that best of human attempts were failures based on arrogance without any eternal assurances of outcome. When I met him and heard him speak, I arranged an international gathering for him to share his testimony and uh, the claims of Christ with people of other religious backgrounds. It was a, uh, a good gathering of international scholars in Chicago. His description about the demise of human religious efforts to connect with God was simply this. Most religious practices are arrogant assumptions that somehow a limited, finite, mortal, imperfect, and sinful human being can successfully find a pathway of his own making all the way up to the heavenlies to please God? Is it ever possible for a man to connect and relate with an unlimited, everlasting, all-wise, powerful, holy, and perfect eternal God by his own merits, works, and efforts? Reasonable people will agree that mankind is not capable to even comprehend God by their own works and intellect. It is totally futile. It's an ant reaching for an elephant. Isaiah 55, 8 reinforms us, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. So whose way are we going to choose? We must accept our sinful limitations and lostness, trust in God's grace, God's plan, God's provision, God's assurance for our redemption, God's perfect one and only answer for all humanity, God's rescue plan and mission to save sinners welcomes us to God through faith in Christ Jesus. Is what we were reminded in our worship, in our songs, and in our communion. He is the only one raised from the dead to sit on the right hand of God, the Father, to intercede for us. God's mission for our redemption starts and completes in Christ. And so, uh, looking at our outline, I'd like to highlight our call to mission. 
after God rescues an individual from the grip of sin and transfers that person to the kingdom of his beloved son, God has designed a purpose for all believers. It is a plan for continued growth of transformed life for God's glory. God longs to see the life of his son formed in the lives of his newborn children. When his children are reflecting his character and are in alignment with his will and his purpose, Christ is lifted up and God is truly glorified. In Acts 9, we find Saul of Tarsus with all his learning, his zeal and dedication realized how wrong he was. He had been so wrong when he personally met Christ on the road to Damascus. He realized that all the time he was opposing Christ, rejecting Christ, he was failing to be the very thing he wanted to be, to be zealous for God. His pharisaical pride and cruel persecution of Christ followers was the very thing that was grieving the heart of God. When Jesus revealed himself to Saul, the lights came on. He fell down on his face, blinded to this world, calling on Jesus as Lord. Account of his conversion gives us details. Ananias was sent to him to go and to pray for his healing and affirmation that Christ was there to save him. In God's rescue plan, Saul as Paul was assigned a role. Paul's call and obligation to preach the gospel to the unreached was affirmed to and through Ananias. Paul writes his call and commitment to the Romans. As we have read, he says, I am obligated to preach the gospel to all the lost, Greeks and non-Greeks, wise and foolish. He was eager to preach to the Romans, Jews and Gentiles. He goes on to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the very thing he was. He was ashamed of Stephen and the followers of Christ he was going to throw in jail on his way to Damascus for that. Paul didn't shy away or hesitate once he embraced the gospel. The gospel opened his eyes to God's righteousness by faith. Paul surrendered his life fully to obey Christ. Paul saw the light, and so can we. God invites each of his children to participate, to have a, have a role in his eternal rescue plan. From neighbors to the nations. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom to all peoples, all nations. 
isn't it a high honor to find and have a role in sharing God's mission? Like Paul, our call to mission begins when we submit to Christ, when we know how much God has done for us in Christ. So like Paul, we gladly surrender our lives to Christ's lordship and follow him in his mission. Our journeys may begin from different places, but each journey is through and in Christ alone for God's eternal purpose and his glory. So call to missions is for all believers, not just the elite few. Now, we are supposed to honor God's servants. And that's wonderful. But we also then look to fellow believers and honor them in the name of Christ as well. It is true that some are assigned to be specialists and uh, to, to be trained, to be sent, to be leaders, and to serve in distant places. However, the missionary journey for all believers as witnesses begins with knowing Jesus, submitting to God through him, the first part of our mission designed by God is to learn to walk with Jesus, learn from him, obey him, live for him, and share him with others when we truly know him and have experienced his life transforming power at work in our lives. We can begin by simply sharing the truth. We know I was blind, but now I see. I was unclean, but now I'm clean. I was dead, but now I'm alive. Yeah. And that's baby stepping. But that's where it begins. As just as much missions as the great things you might do when you are grown up and mature. We are growing babies, starting to crawl, learning to walk. And eventually, over time, able to run with the horses. Jesus invites us to follow him in his eternally significant rescue mission. Jesus invites us to choose significance over comfort. To grow in his purpose to go and proclaim his good news to all nations, all peoples. All true believers must be willing to follow Christ whenever he leads us, wherever he leads us. An Indian prince who came to know Christ and was willing to give up everything for Jesus. He was persecuted, but he sang out. Yesu ke piche main chalne laga na lautunga Na Lautunga, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. No turning back. 
Can we sing out this commitment in the face of opposition, persecution, and rejection? Do not look for comfort in this world. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And you will have contentment in this life and an eternal reward. It'd be good to look at the context of mission. The context of our mission is both near and far. From neighbor to the nations. It's both local and global. It is also not a bed of roses. We live in a sin-sick world and scripture tells us it is a world full of violence, deception of the enemy, evil intentions of the heart, humanity is confused, searching and yet hostile, needy and yet lost. In the world, we encounter an unpleasant, lingering stench of sin. Jesus did not turn away from us in fulfilling his mission. The Holy One of God emptied himself, humbled himself, and took on human form and entered into our sin-sick world, willing to suffer and die on our behalf. Being conformed to the image of God's Son means that we too are to be willing to enter into the difficult places of this world, to rub shoulders with those who are different, those who stink from sin, those who make us uncomfortable, but those who still need Jesus. The placement in fulfilling our role is in his, uh, in, uh, the placement in fulfilling our role in his mission is different for each one of us. To be sure, we don't just mimic one another. Although there are some things that are based on truth and yes, we must embrace them. We are each created uniquely, however, for a unique place and purpose. God has a unique placement for each one of us. For some, it requires going to another culture to proclaim the good news. To others, being willing, obedient, and staying in our own setting, reaching out to those lost right here in our own communities. But we don't divide them. It is all the same because our message is the same. Some of us are to remain in the context of our own communities and continue to share the good news faithfully. And some of us are sent to go where others of our fellowship cannot go. So we must Go and represent. When we are sent, we are to represent Christ and our fellow believers. We must let God lead. We must speak the truth in love as we represent Christ. And we keep on learning as we grow 
and we keep on learning as we go. Interesting thing happened in Acts 10. Peter was glad to be primarily an apostle to the Jews. To his surprise, God directed him to Caesarea to bring the gospel to a Gentile household. Even for Peter, following the heart of God that expanded his view of God's intentions about far-reaching cross-cultural mandate for mission uh, was a trying thing. He was stuttering and stammering. It wasn't easy, but he did it. Paul, on the other hand, was designated to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But always he was glad to preach to the Jews first, even though they didn't like him much and opposed him vehemently. We, the followers of Christ, are sent to different people and places to face different sociocultural groups, worldviews, and religions, to do multiple things with varied languages and tools, though with some purpose in God's plan, with the same purpose in God's plan. But for each of us, we must learn to live more like Jesus, unwilling to step out in obedience and faith, out from among us will be those that will joyfully follow Jesus to faraway places, even the other side of the world. But some may faithfully and joyfully continue to share with their next door neighbors. And that's where the fruit comes. So, thirdly, fruitfulness in missions. True missional fruitfulness is from God. I wish I could make it happen. By his grace and for his glory, it is only by him. No person or organization has the right to claim ownership of what belongs to God. God alone is the master. We are the servants to represent Christ. God alone controls the when, who, and how. So we must be very careful to give him the honor due him by following his promptings and prerogatives of timing and methodology. We are not launching on our own adventure. We are on an adventure of faith with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 8. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labors. 
So let us be faithful as we labor in the field and give glory to God. We must remain faithful to the Lord of the harvest. Sometimes we are privileged to see fruit. Other times we work hard. We simply plant or water. But at other, another time, we might be called to gather the harvest. 1 Corinthians 2, 1, 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the tes testimony of God <clears throat> with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Oh, Paul, you were trembling? And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We are to keep our eyes on the ultimate goal of God's glory and his honor, not ours. He is the one who brings about transformation of lives and gives the fruit. It is always his work, his mission, and not ours. So, bear fruit, grow, and multiply that as many times as God allows you to. Fourthly, partnership in missions. Because anytime we talk about mission, it's about teamwork. There are no lone rangers in mission. Partnership in mission is first of all our partnership with God. Because it is his mission and not ours. God calls each of his children to be part of his eternal rescue mission for mankind. It is an immense privilege for God's children to have a significant role in his plan. I mean, hey. He's calling us on a multidimensional chess game. We're not playing tic-tac-toe. Each one of us has a unique role to play. And yes, we must carry out. God is placing us. And we don't always know where and how. But in his time, he will reveal it. God has equipped his church with all the skills and giftings needed to complete the task and that is his global church. We must join hearts and hands for a common purpose according to the grace and giftings given to us by the Holy Spirit that indwells all believers. Partnership for kingdom task is multifaceted and requires coordinated teamwork. God's plan is a huge undertaking that brings heaven and earth together under God's provision for his honor and glory. On earth, 
It is joining hearts and hands as co-workers with God and with the larger fellowship of his people for a common purpose according to the grace given to us by the Holy Spirit. Paul celebrates and joyfully prays for such a faithful fellowship. To Philippians, he writes, chapter 1, verse 3 to 6, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel for the first day until now, a long-term partnership. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Those partnerships continue. Continue. There are more details given to us and time doesn't permit. But read Acts 16 all the way to verse 40. Partnership involves serving together with planning, with giving, and also with joy as God enables, providing the needed financial support for frontline tasks. So the text that was read from 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, there was planned giving. And Paul instructed the churches in Galatia and other fellowships in the same way. And then he writes to the Corinthians to encourage them to follow through on the same pattern and get involved in the frontline mission work. Sharon and I are grateful for all the prayers and financial support we have received from the family of God here at River Hills for now well nigh 20 years. It is not just our work because together with you, we all are partners. We collectively bring in the harvest. Many partnerships are serendipitous for the specific mission work God has in mind. The connecting of those dots are in his hands. All partnership require prayerful planning for both long-term and short-term service and prepare us to provide help and assistance in a systematic way to come alongside and encourage the frontline workers in reaching the lost. I want to tell you a story about a great partnership for the gospel forged across cultural boundaries. Many years ago, in bringing uh, kingdom fruit in the United States and also in Asia, all the way in Japan. <clears throat> Sensei Maki, a short Japanese man, and Ray Netherton, a very tall American man, long time ago, partnered to minister both in Japan and U.S. They traveled together many times, preaching to thousands, filling large venues in sharing the gospel. They were dubbed David and Goliath team. 
Later in his life, Sensei Maki pastored a Japanese church in Funahiki. In reaching his community through teaching English, Ray Netherton coordinated sending teachers from the United States to help teach in Funahiki. And that's how they were reaching Funahiki and nearby communities through teaching English. Bethany, our older daughter, taught English in Funahiki. And at the same time, she polished her Japanese for two years. It was a privilege for her to serve under Pastor Maki's leadership. She just returned from a memorial service that was celebrating Sensei Maki's life and ministry in Mansfield, Ohio. Pastor Maki is with Jesus now. And Ray Netherton was present there, an elderly servant of God, and said how he longs to join his forever partner, Jesus, and Brother Maki when he goes to heaven. And recently, January, towards the end of January, Sharon left and was there for the month of February and returned back in March. To She was leading two teams in India, coordinating details there on the ground. These team members had their different and complementary gifts they used to serve the frontline leaders and many at risk and vulnerable people on the ground with the goal to bring them good news of Jesus Christ. There are several slides that will show you. During their recent time in Kolkata, they served with frontline international partners, faithful Christ followers from 12 countries. There's a long list there. It's it's, uh, U.S., Argentina, Netherlands, Russia, New Zealand, Korea, Ireland, Northern Ireland, Sweden, Nepal, India, and Singapore. That's a very complicated coordination. But God knows how to work out complicated things. God is raising up his church and his people to declare his glory among the nations, to proclaim the good news of his kingdom to the nations. This kind of cross-cultural partnership requires putting aside our own preferences and opinions and rights, willing to lay down all for the sake of the gospel. In fact, all genuine Christ-led mission partnerships require a Christ-like servanthood, Christ-like sacrifice, and surrender to the Father's plan. So my question is, are we to be lone rangers? Or partners for real kingdom growth? In closing... I want for each one of us 
to process our call, our full and wholehearted alignment with God's eternal plan and his strategy. We're being called to surrender to his work in our lives, becoming more like Jesus and follow him in obedience wherever he leads us. God told, Jesus told his disciples that the end of this world is coming. However, Jesus also told them that there is work to do. The end will come only after the good news of the kingdom is proclaimed to all nations, to all people groups, with no one left out, offers both a great opportunity for redemption for them and also a judgment to those who reject him. The end Jesus refers to is the end of the suffering and devastation that has long been in effect since the fall of man. It will be the end of creation's groaning, waiting to be set free from its bondage to corruption. Romans 8.20 As we are engaged in the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, we are participating in God's eternal plan. We can be confident that his plan will be fulfilled. Isaiah 46.10 tells us that God's purposes, God's purposes will be accomplished it will not be thwarted in God's rescue mission each life matters each life matters eternally just as there is joy when one child is found alive in the rubble of an earthquake there is a much greater joy when one sinner is rescued from the grip of Satan not just for this life but for everlasting life. I encourage you to fully embrace God's call on your life. There is no greater joy than to surrender all and follow Jesus in being part of God's mission. I invite you to hear afresh God's call on your life. It is never boring. Sharon and I found that out. Yes. It is always challenging to lay aside our own rights and surrender all to him. But that's what we are called to do. Perhaps you have given your all to Jesus in the past. And I celebrate that. But now you find yourself busy living for mostly yourself. Will you pause today? We have shared in communion and we have confessed and we have surrendered. And I think that it would be wise for us to pause and say to the Lord, here I am, send me. Grant me grace to live in alignment with your mission for your honor and your eternal purpose. Amen.